Well, good morning, Hope. My name is Jeremy, one of the pastors on staff here, and just want to welcome you again to worship, whether you're worshiping with us here in West Des Moines or whether you're worshiping with us in Waukee or you're worshiping online. Uh, we're glad that you're worshiping, and we have a lot to be thankful. It's, it's November, and in November, typically, people always list, at least that's what tell me, people tell me that people list on social media. They list all the things that they are thankful for, and we have a lot to be thankful for. One, we have a reason to be thankful that here in Iowa, we have now become the Goliath killers of college football. Can you believe this? This is amazing. I almost wore black and gold this morning. And Iowa State fans, my good, you've already knocked off two top five teams. And so you're still going to a bowl and you're still doing incredible things. And you can be thankful that you're not a Minnesota Gopher fan. Because it's miserable. And there's no hope. My goodness. We also are thankful that it was daylight savings time today. Because a lot of you, in celebrating the win for the Hawkeyes, are like, how am I ever going to make it to church tomorrow? But you got an extra hour of sleep. How beautiful is that? This is the new noon service here at Lutheran Church of Hope. And you got an extra hour of sleep and you're thankful, unless you have kids that are my kids' age. Because somehow they didn't get the memo on daylight savings time. Last night we made the mistake and we told them, we're like, hey guys, you get, you get to stay up an extra hour later. And they're like, yeah, that's wonderful. And at five in the morning I get this poking on my arm and these two beady eyes that are staring and say, dad, get up. So I elbowed my wife and said, would you take care of the kids? No, no, actually I didn't. I know better than that. We're also thankful that you may not have known this, that this weekend we celebrate our 23rd birthday as a church here at Lutheran Church of Hope. Can you believe that? It's absolutely amazing what God continues to do and what God has done over the last 23 years. This morning, we're worshiping in six different locations. That's mind-blowing. We're also worshiping with people all across the world right now. So our rebroadcasts over this evening and tomorrow, we'll worship with so many other people. Not only on our 23rd birthday do we celebrate what God has done, we anticipate and we celebrate what we know because God has called us to it, what God is going to continue to do. We get to be a part of it. We say it all the time. This is a God thing. What we're a part of right now, and it's not exclusive to Lutheran Church of Hope, it's the work that God is doing in the world. Get to be a part of that. Somehow, in some way, God can use us. What an amazing thing to be grateful and to be thankful for. It's also, today is All Saints Sunday. And for some of you, you say, I, I don't even know what that means. What All Saints Sunday is, is it's a time in the year where we remember those who we've lost in the last year. And for some of you, just hearing that is incredibly hard. 
Because this has been a year of firsts for you. The first Christmas or the first birthday or the first anniversary that somebody hasn't been there physically. You say, well, Jeremy, why would we be thankful for that? Because of the promise that God gives us. The promise that Jesus made a way for us. That we know that by believing and trusting in Jesus that our physical lives may end, but we live eternally. And what an incredible thing to be thankful for. So at the end of the service, while we're closing with communion, we're going to have a list of names. We're going to remember and we're going to give thanks for all those people and lift their memories up to God who has marked and who has claimed them. We're also thankful because we're starting a new sermon series around hope. And this is a a different kind of series than we've ever done before. We're going to spend four weeks, actually five messages, because it'll be four weekends and then Thanksgiving comes in the middle of the series. Can you believe that in the next four weeks we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving? That means Christmas is only like eight weeks away. So if you haven't started shopping, you might want to start shopping. But for the next four weeks, next five messages, counting Thanksgiving, we're going to be doing this series, What Are You Wearing? But we're going to be focusing on one passage of Scripture, the Scripture passage that you just heard read, no matter where you're worshiping. Scripture passage that comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul is writing a letter to a group of people who are experiencing something. And Paul is writing a letter, writing a word of encouragement. Because what the people in the Colossian church are experiencing, what they're facing, is a world that seems to, be, to get more and more divided all the time. And the disagreements are amplified and the love is being lost. So Paul writes to the Colossian church and tells them that it's going to be different with them. It reminds them that they're one. And it's something that we need to be reminded of as well, don't we? I mean, we believe in, in God's word. We believe that God's word is God's inspired word. And in God's word, in the very, very beginning of the story, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, within the first 30 verses of scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're reminded that that all of creation, all of humanity, throughout all of time, have been created in the image and in the likeness of God. And whether we believe it or not, whether we accept it or not, and whether we acknowledge it or not, it's true even with the people that we might disagree with, even with the people that 
on a surface level, because usually the disagreements are things that are on a surface level. Have you ever noticed that? The biggest disagreements and the biggest things that tend to polarize us are surface level things. That in the grand scheme of things, really, if we're going to be honest, aren't going to last forever. But we give them so much time. And we give them so much energy. And we give them so much volume. And we forget that we're one. And we need to start acting like it. That we're better than the way that we have a tendency to treat people that we don't agree with. Communities are divided. People are being polarized. The animosity that we have is being amplified. And we need to stop. Because God's called us to something more. Not just for the people that we want to be one with, but for all people. And we need to wear, we need to put on something different than we've done in the past. My wife Bridget and I, just over a year ago, we fell in love with a new TV series that just came out. Some of you, I know many of you, because after each of the services this weekend, people have come to me and they've said, oh, we love that show. We absolutely, we, we don't miss a week. And the show that we fall in love with is the show This Is Us. Anybody watch that show? You can raise your hand no matter what campus you're at. Yeah, a ton of people. This show is sweeping across. Everybody's watching it. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, so you don't have to plug your ears and shut your eyes. But this show, there are many reasons why Bridget and I love this show. One of the reasons is the show centers on these three siblings. They're triplets. Two of them are biological twins. Their parents were supposed to have triplets. One of the infants died in, in childbirth. And as the father is looking at his newborn, now twins, he sees that there's another child who had been abandoned at birth. And out of his love, out of the reality that he knows that what ultimately, more important than anything, what we're called to do is to care for the ones who are in need, this father says, we're going to take him home. We're going to adopt him. He's going to be one of our family. And so these three siblings all share the same birthday. And they are just a couple years younger. So part of the show is in real time and present day. Part of the show is in flashbacks. Well, those three main characters are only a couple years younger than, than my wife and I. And so it's so fun to watch the flashbacks. And Bridget and I reminisce on about how it used to be. Like, remember when kids used to play on Game Boys, how crazy that was? Remember when we didn't have cell phones, how wonderful that was? <laughs> remember when we used to play outside <laughs> with other people? And we remember this and we love it. 
But the thing we love more than that is the fact that this show has a way of speaking into real life struggles and a way of portraying them in a way that we can relate to. And one of the struggles that this show portrays in an incredible way is the struggle that exists between the two brothers, Kevin and Randall. They just don't understand each other. They just don't see eye to eye. They have animosity towards one another. Randall seems to take everything seriously. He, he works for everything he gets. And he looks at his brother, Kevin, who just kind of dismisses everything. He's kind of fly by the seat of his pants. The things that he finds important, Randall doesn't find important. And Kevin looks at his brother and says, lighten up. And throughout their old childhood, but it's not just their childhood, it's as adults as well, they find themselves at odds with one another all the time. And they forget, as we often do, that they're one. And they need to start acting like it. Our kids are only 18 months apart. We call them Scandinavian twins. And they're so close in age that developmentally they're into the same things. They're able to play with one another. They're able to share things with one another. 98% of the time, they are thick as thieves. They are the best of friends. In fact, 98% of the time, if one of them gets in trouble, the other one will come to their defense and will come and try to, to convince my wife or I that really they, they shouldn't have to be punished the way that we're going to punish them. There's so many of the times, 98% of the time, that they go off and they play with one another and sometimes it gets eerily quiet. And those of you who have children and it gets too quiet, you know that they're off conspiring against you. And so when they've been gone out of our sight for too long, we're like, one of us should probably go check on them, but we really don't want to know what they're doing right now. But 2% of the time, they can't stand each other. I mean, literally, they fight about everything, and the things that they fight about are so trivial. Just last night, Last night they came to worship. We all worshiped together as a family. We talked about how we are all one and we should really start acting like it. And so we're kind of thinking that we're going to go home. We're all going to be singing. It's going to be wonderful. And we sat down for dinner and then everything broke loose. And they started fighting over ketchup. Really? There were two ketchup bottles on the table. There was one that was almost empty. So we forecasted this, and so we put the second ketchup bottle on the table. We thought, ha, ah, we're geniuses. We should be parents of the year. They both grabbed the same ketchup bottle, the one that was almost empty. And they started yelling at each other and fighting over it. I wanted to say, dear children, you should want the one that is full. There is enough ketchup for everyone. There's so much ketchup in the room, you could bathe in the ketchup. But they started yelling, and as one got louder, the other got louder, and the other got louder. And as their volume increased, their listening decreased. Till finally we said, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And they just looked at us like we just lost it, because we had. <laughs> so you need to listen to one another. So do we. Seriously. Rather than turning the volume, volume up, 
and making sure that everybody knows who we are and what we think and making sure that everybody knows that what they said is wrong and we're going to point it out any chance that we can get? Who does that benefit? One of the places you see this so much is on social media. It's like we give ourselves permission because we're behind a screen or on our phone that somehow there's some veil that allows us to say things that we never would say in person. And we start to rally around the things that we're against rather than uniting around the things that we're for. Let me give you an example of that. During the football season, it's really easy for me to be friends with somebody who roots for the Chicago Bears. I'm a Vikings fan. And it's really easy for me to be friends with the Bears fan because we have a common enemy. And we can talk about how much we hate the Packers. But then what happens when football season's over? What was our relationship based on? What we're for or what we're against? And who does that benefit? When I was doing youth ministry, I came into the position I was doing and there was a woman, her name is Kim, and she was an incredible woman. She, she and her husband, Rob, poured everything they had into this ministry. They did it as volunteers, but they wanted to spend more time with their kids who were getting a little bit older, so they stepped aside. And so I was hired to do youth ministry and Rob, Kim, and I did it with one another and they invested more into me than what I deserved. I mean, they didn't just share with me how they kind of had learned to do some of the things of youth ministry. They poured their life into me. I mean, they were a godsend in my life. I was young. I had no clue about anything. And their door was always open. And when it came to doing youth ministry and encountering kids, we agreed on almost everything. All of the main things we agreed on. And there were a few things that we would, in our own preference, do a little bit different than one another. But all of those things were so inconsequential. It's like, do we do small groups first and large groups second? Do we do large groups first and small groups second? How big should the small groups be? Do we have uh, kids of the same sex in the same groups or do we split them? I mean, just little things that in the end, what we wanted the kids to know is Jesus. And if that happened, it was a success. And we should have kept the main thing, the main thing. But for some reason, in the littlest of things, it just bugged me. Jesus talks about what you should do if you encounter somebody that you have a problem with or you have a disagreement with. It's in Matthew chapter 18 and every single person should star that chapter in their Bible, should underline it. Because Jesus says, if you have a disagreement, a misunderstanding with somebody, you should not air it publicly. You should settle it privately. You should bring your concern to that person individually. So in your relationship, you can discuss the matter at hand. For some reason, 
probably wrapped up into the insecurities that were a part of me, I wasn't able to do that. And I, embarrassingly so, would kind of build camps of people to say, can you believe she does it that way? I mean, doesn't she get it? Kind of build my little factions, my little camps, people who I could bring over to my side. One evening after we got done with, youth, with our youth group that night, we would always stay late as leaders and kind of rehash what, what had happened that night. What were, what were the joys? What were the sorrows? What were the struggles? Were there any prayer requests? But for whatever reason that night, I chose it. And I don't even remember what it was. But I remember what I did. And in front of all 15 of the leaders that were there, I very, very, angrily told everybody what I thought about Kim and what she was doing. Sometimes I tend to get a little animated when I speak. And I was just letting her have it. And I got done and you, literally you could see the air had been sucked out of the room. I mean, the look on people's faces was that look of like, I, I, I literally can't believe what I just saw. But I was too prideful to admit what I'd done. Kim in her maturity said to me, she said, Jeremy, could you stick around after everybody leaves? I'd love to have a conversation with you. She was doing Matthew 18 with me. But in my pride, I thought, hmm, she's coming for a second round. I'm going to get my gloves on and I'm going to let her have it again. I'm going to continue. My goal is to win. Everybody left. My heart was racing. My adrenaline was rising. And Kim said, Jeremy, I just have one question for you. When you said what you said, Was that for my benefit to build me up? Or was that for your benefit to tear me down to make you look better? What do we do when people think or act differently than we want them to? How do we handle it? What is it that we put on just a little over a week ago, I was able to be a part of a panel that was meeting at Des Moines University. President Franklin, who is the president of Des Moines University, who also is a member uh, of Lutheran Church of Hope, an incredible woman, an incredible leader. Last year, seeing the divisiveness that existed in culture, she decided to start a president's discussion series on opposing views and finding common ground. And there were four of us on the panel that were all able to, to talk about what we do and, and how we approach situations we're on opposite sides or opposite sides of the aisle with somebody. I didn't tell that story. Should have. So one of the first things that we did as a panel, and the people on the panel were as diverse as diverse could be in age, in gender, in ethnicity, in religion. 
And we all had a couple minutes just to share what we thought and what we saw. And what we saw the divisiveness in culture doing to our community. Because it's killing us. Which is why we need to stop it. The last person to speak in this opening question was a young man who is just an incredibly gifted young man. Goes to Valley High School. And JJ spoke and he said, where do I see this at play in our culture? Look at the PowerPoint slide. This was the slide that was there that evening when we were meeting with the Des Moines University community. Said the opposing views is an 80-point font. Finding common ground is an at best 12. We rally against what, around what we're against and we never attend to what we're for. We're one. We need to start acting like it. We don't get to pick the people who are on this journey with us. That we share this community, city, state, nation, earth. We don't get to pick them. But we have to love them. We have to love them. It's what Paul is getting at in Colossians chapter 3. He says, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what the promise of the gospel has done in your lives. Oh, you people who are in the Colossian church, there are people who are, are outside of you that are, are, are going to behave and act and they're going to maybe even come to a point where they attack you for who you are, but you're not going to respond in the same way. You are going to respond differently because you yourself know what God has done in you and through you you've been called, that you've been set apart, that you've been chosen by the grace, by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. We celebrated that last week. What a holy moment, what a holy move of the Holy Spirit across all of our campuses, across all of the services. We have the opportunity to respond to this call that God has placed on our lives. Not by our own efforts, not by our own doing, but because of God's grace. That we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and we've been marked with the cross of Christ and that is forever. And the fact that we've been loved that way since we've come to an understanding that we're the holy people that God has chosen. You didn't choose God. God chose you. And because of that, because of the love that he's given to you, it's going to be different. The call is different. The call is to swim upstream in a downstream world. The call is to stand for love rather than to rally around disagreement and hate. The call is to be for one another rather than against one another. Just think in your mind, the person or the people that you have the most trouble with. God loves them. 
God loves them. And so should you. So should all of us. Paul says, because God chose you to be the holy people his love, he loves, it's going to make it different for you. Colossians chapter 3. It says, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, many of these will be fruits of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> something that the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit is inside of us. It produces something that is bigger than who we are. Bigger than what we could bring to the table. It's by nature and character the love of Jesus Christ. It's right before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus gathered his disciples and they were going to celebrate a meal with one another. It's a meal that we're going to celebrate here in worship in just a few minutes. And in John's gospel, John's account of Jesus' life, the, the beginning of the story is a little bit different. Because all of the disciples, remember the disciples themselves weren't a perfect group of people. Judas was there. He's going to betray him. Peter was there. He was going to deny him. Thomas was there. He would doubt the reality that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And Jesus knew this. So how did he treat him? Did he call him out in anger or did he love them? Gospel of John says he takes off his outer garments and he takes a basin of water and he stoops at their feet and he does something to them. Oh, scandalous, it really was. It was something, it, it was an act that would be reserved for the lowest of the low of all the servants of the household. To wash the dirtiest physical part of a person's body, he stoops down at their feet and cradles them and begins to wash them. So crazy was what Jesus was doing. By the time he gets to Peter, Peter says, absolutely not. Jesus, you, you, you cannot do this. Jesus, you're above this. This is reserved for people who, who are lower than you. Jesus, if anybody in this situation, if anybody should be washing somebody else's feet, it should be me washing your feet. But Jesus, you could never wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand it, but you'll get it. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And I'm giving you a new commandment. It's the greatest commandment of them all. It's to love each other. Everybody say, no matter what campus you're at, everybody say, love each other. Love each other. Say it again. Say, love each other. We need to do it. We really need to start doing it. Why? Because not just your health and well-being, but the people around you depends on it. Too often when we have opposing views, we think it's our arguments that's going to win them to our side. Have you ever seen that happen? You've ever been in a situation with somebody and the volume gets really high and they are screaming, or maybe you're screaming at them. Have they ever said, oh, okay, now I get it. 
we want to argue them to their, them to our side when the only thing we can do is to love them with a love that could transform them. Think about the story of Zacchaeus. Everybody in Zacchaeus's community <laughs> knew how wretched of a person he was. He was a tax collector, despised. Everywhere Zacchaeus went, he could feel the stairs of the community burning holes in the side of his head. If it was about the court of public opinion persuading Zacchaeus to have a transformational experience in his life, that wasn't working. Zacchaeus gets in a tree and even the people are calling out Zacchaeus and he's up in the tree. But one conversation with Jesus changes everything for him. It does for you and it does for me too. 1 John chapter 4. Same John that writes the Gospel of John writes a series of three letters in the very end of the New Testament. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 it says, this is what real love is. Not that we loved God but that he loved us. Too often we think that love is an emotion or a feeling that we have that when it's the right people in the right situation and the right all of the right ingredients when those things all to get come together in perfect harmony then love is a response to that that's not love those are feelings and feelings are important and we need to attend to our feelings they're never wrong but they're wonderful barometers they're horrible compasses when I feel a certain way, it helps me to look around and ask myself, what's going on that's making me feel? If I'm feeling scared, what is it that's causing me? Because I'm not a scared person. Something is pressing in on me that's causing that, causing that feeling. When I feel angry, when I feel happy. They're great barometers, but they're horrible compasses. Too often we think that Feelings should elicit action when in reality it's quite the opposite. That our actions will change our feelings. When we begin to love, we'll feel more loving. When we love the people who we might be at odds with, it's really hard to be angry with them. This is what real love is, John says. Not that we moved first, not that it was about our feelings, but it was about the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loved us first. And since we've been loved, John goes on. He says, dear children, since we've been loved, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. Doesn't mean that we don't take a stance for things that we believe in. But we need to love first. Paul will say it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Faith, hope, and love. These gifts will last forever, but the greatest of these is last forever. It's the only thing in life that has a power to transform us. It's what Kevin and Randall were struggling to do. All they could see was the ways in which they were different. All they could see was what the other was doing that they didn't agree with. So they continued to raise the volume. 
waiting for somebody to change. There's this scene from last season. It's, for me, one of the most powerful scenes in the movie. Randall and Kevin are both at the doorstep of an, an incredible moment in their lives. Randall, his whole life has struggled with the issues of abandonment. He's struggled with perfectionism. He's struggled with all, which causes him to strive for everything. He's a perfectionist. He's taken too much on to his own shoulders and he's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Kevin's on the doorstep to get back into stardom. He's a celebrity and he kind of fell out of the limelight and now he's getting his next chance at having a big break. So big was this chance that the entire family has decided to go and to support him and to be there on opening night of this play that he's going to be the main character in. And if he doesn't show up and if he doesn't get out onto that stage, he, he's going to lose his chance for his one opportunity. But he sees that there's something bigger than him. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not rude. It doesn't keep a record of being wrong. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love, love never gives up. Never loses hope. Love endures through every circumstance. The word for love in the Greek is agape. Everybody say agape. It means God's love. It's a love that steps in at the greatest moment of need. It's a love that covers the gap. It's a love that shows up. It's a love that gives everything it has away to the one who is in need. John 3.16, we could preach for a year on just this one passage from John's gospel. For God loved the world so much, what did he do? He gave everything he had away to us who couldn't come to an everlasting life who couldn't overcome our sin the forces of evil or the finality of death on our own so love shows up John says nobody has ever seen God but when we love God's presence is brought to a full expression in us that fills us up so that we can reach out to the world around us. If you're in a place where you have a relationship that's at odds, step in. Good boundaries. Need to have boundaries. But you can always love. I wonder if we looked at our social media accounts just for this month, what if we started a different kind of hashtag? It's the pound sign for those of you who aren't on social media. But if, what if we tagged everything that we wrote with this? Would it change what we wrote? Would it change how we respond? 
maybe we should give it a shot. Because that's what God did. Gave us a shot. Brought us to life. So what we celebrate is we get ready to take part in this incredible meal. It's right after Jesus washed his disciples' feet that they sit down and he takes bread and after he gives thanks, he gives it, he breaks it and he gives it for them all to eat. And he said, this is my body and it's given for you. Take it and eat it and do it to remember me. In the same way after they had eaten, he took the cup of wine and after giving thanks, he gave it for them all to drink. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it. Drink it. Do it for the remembrance of me. So we get ready to receive these gifts from God. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? The words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. If you're wondering, are you welcome at this table? All people are welcome. The ushers will direct you forward. Simply take a wafer and dip it in either the dark-colored wine or the light-colored grape juice. There's allergy-free stations available as well. The communion servers can get into place. While we receive communion while we worship. We will remember all those who have passed in our church family. Their names will be listed from their date of death starting with last November on the center screen. So remember, let's give thanks to a good God who gives good gifts. Amen.